And at this time, uh, Mr. Jim Canis or James Canis will bring us the reading of God's Word. Morning. Our scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. This can be found on page 1806 in your pew Bibles. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from being coming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. The word of the Lord. Stories have always been a vital part of the human experience. The author, Robert McKee, argues that storytelling is not just an intellectual exercise, but a personal, emotional experience. Storytelling is so much more than just sharing data. It connects us to an idea and helps us understand it better. Here's an example. On Friday, you might have received, definitely received, an email with a GIF, uh, the office GIF that said, oh my God, okay, it's happening. Did you receive that email? Well, here's the full story. I was working on the OTE kickoff promo email and I wanted to include that GIF to say, oh my God, finally the OT kickoff is happening. But before I sent the email to um, all the students, I wanted to make sure that, that that GIF would come out okay. And I thought I was sending that test email to myself and myself only. You all know what happened after that. 
Hopefully this story made you understand the mistake a little better and made you more forgiving. Pastor Peter last week talked about the difference between dry fruits and uh, fresh fruits. And he compared it to doctrines with stories and without stories. Using the doctrine of, ex- of election as an example, he said, when, you w- when we take the stories of election, like the stories of Abraham and Joseph, out of the doctrine, election becomes something different. It gets dried up and it becomes something unrecognizable, like an intellectual exercise. But when we bring in the stories of Abraham and Joseph, those stories connect us to the doctrine, and election becomes something. We understand this election and what it means to us. The most frequently shared stories are personal ones, uh, and such stories connect people to one another. An article by Harvard Business Review says, quote, stories define us. To know someone well is to know her story. The experiences that have shaped her, the trials and turning points that have tested her. When we want someone to know us, we share stories of our, of, of our childhoods, our families, our school years, our first loves, our faith, and so on, unquote. That's why interviewers ask applicants to share their defining moments. That's why two people on their first date ask each other what their hobbies are, what their fun facts are. What they're really asking is, what is your story? Because they want to know who these people are. And that's sort of what's happening in 2 Corinthians. The Corinthian Christians have asked Paul for his story. They asked, Paul, what is your story? Now, you might be wondering why they needed to ask Paul this question in the first place. I mean, after all, it was Paul who started the church in Corinth, and Paul, after starting the church, spent a year and a half in the city of Corinth. So what happened to that relationship? What happened to the knowledge of the person of Paul? Well, here's the full story. After living among the Corinthian Christians for one year and a half, Paul eventually left the city of Corinth to continue spreading the gospel. After, and, and his departure was followed by the arrival of false apostles. They told stories about their lineage and pedigree, like as Hebrews, as Israelites, and as the descendants of Abraham. They also boasted about their superior knowledge of Christ. They talked about how had they had visions and received revelations from the Lord. And soon, the Corinthian Christians began doing something that you and I might just do in such a situation. They began comparing the new apostles to their old one. And they concluded that Paul was inferior. So they decided to follow their new apostles and their teachings. Subsequently, the false teachings of their new false apostles led many people astray. When, fa- when Paul found out about it, he wrote um, a letter called the First Corinthians to correct such false teachings. But by then, the Christians in Corinth were already too impressed with their new, um, new, new apostles and by their impressive stories. So they rejected Paul's letter and Paul's correction. Instead, they asked Paul, 
for his apostle, um, credentials. They asked him what his story was, why they should listen to him instead of their new apostles. So Paul made what he calls the painful visit to Corinth and wrote what he calls the letter of anguish and many tears. Only after those efforts, the many Corinthian Christians realized their wrongdoing and apologized. But there still remained people who still rejected Paul and followed their false apostles. So starting in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul launches into a long speech to raise the alarm once again about the new false apostles and their teachings. Paul sarcastically calls them the super apostles in um, 2 Corinthians 11.5 and 12.11. And it is because they were always boasting about themselves and telling stories about how great they were, the super apostles. Paul's main point here was that although their stories were impressive, they were self-serving and boastful, therefore foolishness. But why are they foolishness? I mean, after all, what's the harm in a little boasting? Well, as we just discussed, stories define us and our identities. For Christians, their stories should reveal to others that their identities are rooted in Christ. Their stories must point to God, His greatness, and His achievements. They should never boast about themselves or their achievements. If they should boast, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10, 10, 17, if they should boast, then they should boast in the Lord about the things that he has done for them, in them, and through them. But that was not the case with these super apostles. Their stories were just self-serving and boastful, highlighting their greatness and their achievements rather than God's greatness and God's achievements. Their stories were not about God, but they were about themselves. They claimed to be the apostles of Christ, but in their stories there was no room for Christ. Their stories only pointed people to them. You see the irony here? Their stories first created conceits and then false identities. That's why Paul called their boasting and stories foolishness. And this is so countercultural to us because our world today encourages self-promotion and boasting. Today, people shape their stories to highlight their strengths, to make them look as impressive as possible. For example, during a job interview, people share the stories that highlight their strengths, not their weaknesses. Even if they're asked to share about their weaknesses, they might use that as an opportunity to share more about their strengths. They say things like, well, my weakness is that I care too much. So if somebody asked you, what's your story? Better yet, if someone asked you for your faith story, what kind of story would you tell? Would your story point people to Christ or to you? 
Out of all the faith stories that, I've heard, that I have heard over the years, this, there is one that truly stands out. I heard this story years ago at a, from a Christian man that I met at a dinner party. Um, and his story was essentially just boasting about his career achievements. He, he talked about his achievements, advancement, and great success. Even though he'd ended his so-called faith story by saying, Oh, I am blessed. It was clear that he was just conceited. In his story, even though it was his faith story, in his story there was no room for Christ. It was foolishness. Again, years ago, during the new student orientation at Calvin Seminary, I was in a group with two other students, and we were asked to share our faith stories. The first one to go was this 22-year-old Canadian. And he shared that from he always, how he always knew that he was called to be a pastor. So when he went to college, he did the pre-seminary track. I didn't even know that that was a thing. He said he majored in religion with a minor in philosophy. He met his wife there, got married there, and straight out of college, he came to Calvin to get his master's degree. When I was 22... I was still soul-searching. I didn't, I mean, ministry wasn't even on my radar. So I thought to myself, man, this man is impressive. Up next was this man from Kenya, and his story was even more impressive. He shared how he met Christ when his family was on the run, when his family was running away from a, a tribal conflict that was happening in his native country. He had his engineer, um, and, uh, chemical engineering degree, and he had a promising life ahead, but he left all that behind to be a servant of the Lord. And I said, wow, that's a movie script. And then it was my turn. So I said, well, I was born in Israel. Well, I didn't say like that, but I did milk my birth story to make myself as, you know, look as impressive as possible. But looking back, I wonder if there was, a, was any room for Christ in my faith story. And if I'm being frankly honest with you, I, there was no room for Christ in my faith story that day. It was also foolishness. The point is that because we are so accustomed to self-promotion and boasting, it is almost unnatural for us to make room for Christ in our stories. In a culture where conceit is the norm, we want to make ourselves look as impressive as possible. We want to highlight our strengths, our greatness, and our achievements. We want people to notice us instead of Christ in us. So we tell stories that are rooted in our own achievements, accomplishments, and greatness. We make ourselves the heroes of our own stories. We create false identities. It's foolishness. Stories define us. Therefore, the stories that we tell ourselves and others matter. So what should our story be? What should it look like? Let's return to Paul's lengthy speech. Starting in chapter 11, Paul begins juxtaposing himself and his story against the super-apostles and their stories. His point here is that whatever they boast about, 
whether it's their pedigree, lineage, education, knowledge, vision, revelation, whatever it may be, whatever they boast about, Paul can boast about the same things too. And he continues in chapter 12. You know, the man that Paul talks about is actually himself. He's talking about himself. He's the man who had the vision. As, he, as we read this morning, Paul alludes to the super apostles boasting about their visions and revelations from the Lord and says that he's had greater visions and revelations from the Lord. He says he actually had a supernatural experience of being taken away into the third heaven and hearing inexpressible things. Again, the point is that he could have boasted about those things, his visions and his revelations, he could have made his story even more impressive than the stories of these super apostles. But Paul chose not to do that because that wasn't his story. He did not want his story to be rooted in his achievements, accomplishments, or highlight his greatness. Paul did not want his story to be boastful or self-serving. He did not want his story to be of conceit. He knew who he was. He knew the real hero of his own story. His story, he said, was about his weaknesses. And in verse 7, he mentions this thorn in, the, thorn in his flesh as an example of such weaknesses. We don't know much about the nature of this thorn or the suffering that it has caused. But whatever it was, it must have been terrible for Paul because he, he calls it the messenger of Satan. Whatever it was, it must have been terrible because he asked Jesus to remove it from his life. He asked that three times. Whatever it was, it wasn't anything that anyone should ever boast about. In the end, God did not remove this thorn from Paul's life. Instead, he said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And for some reason, that suddenly flipped the narrative for Paul. This thorn in his flesh was no longer just a weakness, but the reason that, or the thing, the very thing that kept him from being conceited and creating a false identity rooted in his achievement, accomplishment, his greatness. So now Paul would gladly boast about his weakness because in his weakness, the power of Christ rests on him and is made perfect. When Paul is weak, he says, he is actually strong. And I don't know about you, but this sort of philosophical discourse drives me crazy. Because what Paul says here seems like a complete paradox. How is it that when you are weak, you're also strong? How is that? It's just an abstract idea, nothing but an intellectual exercise. We need something more concrete, something more tangible, something that connects to this idea and helps us understand it better. What we need here is a story. Maybe we can find such a story in our own weakness. 
And in my humble opinion, our greatest weakness is our sinfulness. In our sinfulness, we find the story of Jesus' cross. Sin isn't certainly anything that anyone should ever boast about. When it comes to our sinfulness, we are totally hopeless. We are totally weak. We are totally incapable of doing anything about it. We are unable to save ourselves from our own sinfulness. But it is also in this sinfulness, that is, when we are totally weak and hopeless, the power of Jesus' cross truly shines. It is when we are weak that power of Jesus' cross is made perfect in us. I mean, think about it. When we could not save ourselves from our sins, the power of Jesus' cross brought us from death to life. And even today, when we continue to fall into temptations and sin, it is the same power of Jesus Christ that grants us forgiveness and assures of it. Because our weakness reminds us of our inability to save ourselves, it keeps us from being conceited and creating a false identity. And also because our weakness reminds us of our inability to save ourselves, it is the very thing, our weakness is the very thing that drives us back to the power of the cross over and over again when we face our weaknesses. It is the very thing that keeps us rooted in the sufficient grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our weakness, therefore, should be our story. Because that story, that weakness, points people to the power of Christ. It points to Him. I recently saw a movie called Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. It shows a megachurch pastor and his wife trying to rebuild their church after a a massive scandal um, almost killed the church. I must give you a spoiler alert. In fact, I'm going to tell the entire story. So if you're planning on watching that movie, um, I apologize. It is what it is. I'm just going to spoil it for you. In the movie, the pastor and his wife believe that all they need to do to rebuild their church is to boast about themselves. So much like the super apostles, they just share stories about their greatness, achievements, and their accomplishments. They boast about what they can do for the community and what they will, in fact, do for the community. But there is no room for Jesus. There is a scene where a former church member confronts the pastor. It's a high school student. Initially, the pastor is pretty calm and cool about everything until the high schooler says, that the community is better off without the pastor and his church. That's when the pastor becomes greatly angry and defensive. He says he has saved himself from this great trouble, and he can do the same for many souls. He says he has so much to give to the community. But in all this, there's no room for Jesus. In his story, 
There is no Jesus. It's all about him and what he can do. At the end of the movie, it's the grand reopening day. And we see the pastor and the wife standing in front of an empty parking lot. The wife has opened her eyes to the reality that nobody's coming to the church. But the pastor is still conceited and believes that people will show up. So he repeatedly says to himself, they're going to come for me. They're going to come and see me. Oh, they're going to come for me. They're coming for me. That's when the camera pans over to a statue of Jesus that we've seen throughout the movie. But this time, the camera actually zooms in on the face of Jesus, and we see that Jesus is crying. What's your story? And what does your story tell people about your identity? Does your identity point to Christ or to your greatness? Is your story about your accomplishments or Jesus' accomplishments? Does it reveal the paradoxical grace of Jesus' cross that makes us strong when we are weak? Pray with me. Father, let the cross of your Son, Jesus, be our story. Let our story tell others that when we are weak, that's when we are truly strong. Let our story point to Jesus, who is the power for all our achievements and accomplishments. Let our story say that it is not I, but Christ in me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.